Our reading today is from Exodus chapter 33, just the second book in the Bible. Chapter 33, beginning at verse 7. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tent, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to his tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face, as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. It it might seem a bit bit full on or maybe a bit early um, on a Sunday morning. Um, to encounter a story of betrayal and violence and sexual debauchery, but that's what we've got in front of us this morning. We are going to have a look at two whole chapters in Scripture. We're going to have a look at chapters 32 and chapters 33 in in Exodus, um, part of which Bev just read for us. So um, we're going to travel at the speed of light through those, um, through those two chapters for us to get a sense of, of the movement, um, what is God up to? Um, and of course, as, as part of our, um, our series in prayer that we've been going through, um, so we're going to do the lightning speed fast bit, um, and then we're going to slow right down and have a look at um, a, a few challenges for us today as God's people. Like, what does this mean for us to to, to be people who pray to God? Um, and what is it that we can see from Moses' conversations, um, Moses' encounter with the Lord. So how about, um, how about we pray for the Lord's help, and then um, we will kick into um, having a look at these two chapters. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you are a God who listens, you are a God who speaks, and you are a God who acts. And so, Lord, as your people here this morning, we are asking for your help. Um, Would you help us to be listening to you, um, listening to the words that you've got for us in order that we um, would... Uh, know how to converse with with you. Um, yeah, and Lord, would you even be at work here this morning by your spirit that um, as a result of what we read together this morning, as a result of hearing your word, 
um, hearing the good news of who you are and what you've done and the reality of sin and who we are and all of that stuff. Lord, would you change us by your spirit that we would leave here um, different because we've encountered you. We pray this in the name of our Saviour, Jesus. So where we're up to in the book of Exodus, Moses um, has led the people of God out of slavery, um, out of Egypt. They've um, seen some incredible things, all the, the, the plagues. God has parted the, the Red Sea and led them out of captivity. Um, the Egyptian army that was chasing them was destroyed and they've been traveling through the desert. And now they've arrived at the bottom of Mount Sinai. And so the Israelites have this camp at the bottom. That's where they're hanging out. And Moses, being this 80-something-year-old man, um, has been traveling. He's been taking these little day trips from the camp at the bottom of the mountain all the way up to the top to meet with God. And God has been telling him how his people are to live in light of the rescue that they have received. So Moses, this is how I want you and my people to live because of the um, the rescue that you've received. If you're my people, this is the way that you are to live. And so Moses has been going up and down, up and down, tirelessly, um, communing with God, encountering God and listening to him. But now we come across a little problem. This last meeting that Moses has undertaken with the Lord, it's been going on for a little while, like 40 days. And that's where we find ourselves in chapter 32. Moses is taking too long. The people go to Aaron, that's Moses' brother who's been left in charge, and say, Aaron, what's the deal? Moses isn't here. Maybe he's not coming back. Where is he? He's been gone an awful long time. We want a God that we could see. We want a God that we can touch. And so would you, Aaron, go and make something for us? Would you make a God for us? And then Aaron, in his stupidity and in his betrayal, he allows it. And he says, okay, and they take off their gold and their jewelry and they melt it down and they make this gold-plated calf or this cow. And that is the idol. And then they make sacrifices and they worship it and they even attribute their rescue to this idol. They say, this is the God that has rescued us. And then they have this wild feast with food and drink and sex. It's this great, awful, messy party. And they even start to mix in a bit of worship of the Lord in with it. It's debaucherous. It's betrayal of the God that they know. It's the betrayal of the God who has rescued them. Meanwhile, Moses is up the mountain talking with the Lord, and they've actually been talking about what it is to worship God on his terms and in the right way, while all of that is happening down the bottom of the mountain. And Moses alerts, um, the Lord alerts Moses as to what is happening down the bottom of the mountain. And God is furious at this betrayal, at this idolatry, and says the people, they're stiff-necked, like their, their, their heads won't bow to me. After all of this, the, the people, they, they won't bow, but all of a sudden they've got this, this 
false god, this idol, and their necks are real floppy now, aren't they, Moses? They're, they're bowing down to this thing. And God says, Moses, leave me alone to my anger. I will destroy this people. I'll wipe them off the face of the earth, but I will still save you. I wonder how tempting it was for Moses to say, okay. But he doesn't. Moses then pleads with the Lord and says, would you remember our relationship? You were the one who has rescued us, God. You're the one who saved us. You're the one who has rescued us out of slavery. And what about your reputation? What about your name, O oh God? If, if word gets back to, to Egypt that, that the people were just destroyed, they ended up destroyed out at Sinai, like, won't, won't your name just become a laughing stock in, in Egypt? They, won't the Egyptians just say that was all for nothing? Moses and God, we just led the people out that they would be destroyed. What about your name? What about our relationship? And then he says to the Lord, what about the promises that you made to our forefathers? What about the promises that you made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that we would receive a land, that you'd make us a people, that, that you would be our God and that, that we would be yours? What about your promises as well? Please don't destroy everyone. And God says, incredibly, okay. He says, okay. Then Moses heads down the mountain carrying the tablets um, that have the commandments on it. And then when he sees with his own eyes just how carried away everything has got, just how far things have gone, he symbolically smashes these tablets at the foot of the mountain, right where the people used to worship the Lord correctly, as a symbol of this is the broken relationship because of what you've done. Your sin has ruined the relationship between you and God, and he smashes them. And then he goes and gets the golden calf, the idol that was fashioned. And listen to this, he has it burnt, then he has it ground into a powder, he tips it into the water supply and makes everyone drink it. It's destroyed. Where's your idol now? Where's your false god now? It is destroyed and totally desecrated as it's drunk and as we know that um, if we have an understanding of the human body, that false god would then end up behind a tree somewhere or the Mount Sinai public toilets. It's desecrated. It's not holy anymore, is it, this false god? Then Moses confronts Aaron, his brother, the one who was left in charge, and says, how could you bring this sin upon the people? How could you, how could you do this? And, and Aaron, Aaron, he says, he says, well, you know what the people are like. Like, you know these guys. You know, you know how they are. And, 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 and plus, I was kind of pressured into it as well. And, and they were saying, like, not me, but, but them, um, you've been gone an awful long time and maybe something happened or maybe you're not coming back. And that's kind of what they said. And then in what is maybe the worst lie in the whole Bible. And by the way, we just kind of threw our gold things into the fire and out came this calf. And so that's kind of a miracle, and yay! And, and I love that like, we don't even get 
Moses' response to that. Like maybe he just didn't say anything to it. Um, so he doesn't even say, he doesn't even respond to that. Um, then Moses gives everybody in the camp a chance to make a decision. Who are you going to serve? Who will be your God? Will your God be the burnt, ground-up toilet cow? Or will it be the true God? Will it be this idol that isn't alive? Or will you serve the living God? Will you serve a false God or the true God? Make a decision. If you are going to follow the Lord, if you choose him, come to me now. Everybody gets that decision. Everyone that chose to continue in false worship, everyone that's rejected God and said, no, we're going with the false idol, they, by instruction of the Lord, were put to death. 3,000 people. That's how serious of a betrayal it is. That's how serious the sin of idolatry is. That's how seriously the Lord takes sin. There's a payment of death. The next day, Moses then goes back up the mountain. He's doing a lot, of, a lot of Ks to see if he can make things right between God and the people, to see if he could fix that broken relationship, even to the extent of saying to God, um, can I make atonement? Like, is, is there a way that I could pay for the sins of the people? Like, blot me out of your book. And God says, no. He says, no. Um, everyone that sins against me, they will pay for their own sin. God, staying true to his word, doesn't completely wipe out the camp. He does send a plague. We don't know how long the plague was. We don't get a description of the plague. It's a vague plague. Um, but that's punishment for the betrayal. Then God says, okay, Moses, it's time to hit the road again. You are still going to the promised land. Take everyone and start heading off again. But I'm not going to be there amongst you. I'm not going to be there amongst you. But I'm not completely abandoning you either. I'm going to send an angel to go before you, but I myself aren't going to be amongst you. And this is what actually breaks the people's hearts. The, the news that God himself won't be traveling in amongst the people. They, they take off their gold jewelry and things again, this time not to, to fashion an idol, but as a sign of brokenness and mourning over their sin, like they're heading to a funeral. And because the Lord isn't amongst the people because of their sin, um, Moses sets up a tent of meeting outside of the camp. So different to the tabernacle, outside of the camp, on the outskirts, still within the line of sight, and that's where Moses meets with God. That's where he has his conversations with God. And it, I love how it says that um, when Moses and the Lord spoke, it was like friends speaking face to face. That's the intimacy that Moses had with the Lord like friends speaking face to face. And Moses says to the Lord, I, I want to know you. I want to know you more. 
I want to know your ways. God, we are your people and we need you. Don't, don't send us anywhere without you. Your presence with us is what defines us as a people. And God says, okay, Moses, I will go with you. And you think that Moses might kind of leave it there, but Moses in his pursuit of God, I love how he's kind of badgering the Lord. He says, he doesn't leave it there. He says, show me your glory. And God says, I'll give you an idea of what I'm like. You, you couldn't handle me in my fullness. You, nobody can look upon my glory or stand in my presence like that because you'd just die. But you can get a sneak peek of my goodness and my magnificence. And this is my character. I'm gracious to those whom I will be gracious. I show mercy on those whom I show mercy. And so those, that's two chapters of, of the Bible, really, really, really fast. And so do you hear in the encounter, the, the, the encounters that Moses has with God, do you hear this, this do you see the tension that Moses is, is in, the place that he's caught between? Um, on one hand, a great love for the Lord, a concern for his name, a concern for his reputation and his holiness on one hand, and, and also a great love for the people. And that's where he finds himself. So I see three, three challenges for, for us. Firstly, for us to be a people that pray for those who currently stand under judgment, under the threat of judgment. You see in verse 10 of chapter 32, God says, Now therefore let me alone that my wrath, that my anger my, may burn hot against them, the people, that I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. Okay, Moses Leave me alone. I'm going to wipe out these people, but you're going to be okay. I wonder if that's what trips us up or if that is something that gets in the way of us being a people who are fervent in prayer for those who don't know God. Um, a, a, a satisfaction in knowing that, okay, I'm... I'm in right relationship with God because of Jesus. And so things are okay with, with me and my standing before God. And so that's, that's okay. Like, are we just totally satisfied with being okay ourselves while the rest of the world is on fire? The rest of the world is under the threat of judgment. One question that you could perhaps ask yourself is, if... God said yes to every prayer that you prayed this last week. How many people would have come to know Christ? If God said yes to every prayer that you prayed this week, like who, who would have been saved? Maybe something else that gets in the way of us being people who um, really pursue prayer for those who don't know the Lord yet is that we don't honestly believe that the, 
the judgment that God has promised for those who have sinned and that are separated from him. Maybe we don't believe that that's actually true and that's coming. But it is. It is. And as Christians, we can um, forget, we're tempted to forget that at one point, we ourselves were in broken relationship with God and separated, that we ourselves were once people under judgment, that, that God in his goodness has fixed that relationship for us. And so don't we, don't we desire to see others come to know that same um, forgiveness, that same freedom from condemnation that, that you yourself have received? And God invites us to concern ourselves with the lost. It's almost like a test there for Moses, isn't it? God says, leave me alone. And things are going to be okay with you, Moses, but they're definitely not going to be okay with your people. Um, and, and Moses kind of has the option, like, yeah, these people have been really annoying. Like, they've been badgering me and whinging, like, all the way through the desert. They're unbelief, like, they're painful people to lead, like they're, they're a hard group of people, um, it would be totally easy to say, yeah, God, start all over again and use me. But Moses has this concern and this love for his people who've got this broken relationship. And, and there's like this challenge, this invitation, like what is Moses going to do with that? Is he going to say, yes, I'm just going to be satisfied with what I've got? Or is he going to actually push into God and say, no, God, you've got to do something. Like you're the rescuer. What about your name? And what about the promises that you've made? He's invited to like push into that, to, to, to really wrestle with that, struggle with that. So we're invited to concern ourselves with the lost. Oh Lord, would you grow us in our love for those who stand under judgment currently? <coughs> Another challenge that we see for us is, is to actually be real about our sin. Especially when it comes to prayer. Um, I think what can get in the way of us being really honest about sin in our life it could be kind of a couple of things like it could be disbelief that our sin is really sinful like yeah I make mistakes but like nobody's perfect and yeah like I've sinned and yeah but it's not that bad and so maybe that stops us from being a, a confessing repentant people or on the other hand we can make the error as well of of just being so covered in shame with sin that we think we don't want to front up to God. We don't want to name what we've done because we're so ashamed. Um, but we see in, in Moses' in, intercession, the way he intervenes, we, we see that he doesn't do either of those things. If you have a look, um, say, from verse 30 of chapter 32 there, it says, the, the next day Moses said to the people, You've sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returns to the Lord, and he says, Alas, these people have sinned a great sin, and they've made for themselves gods of gold. 
Do you see how he, he doesn't just say, yeah, what you guys did were pretty bad, but everybody makes mistakes and like nobody's perfect. He doesn't do that. He says, he says to the people and to the Lord, like this is a great sin. Like he's realistic, he's honest about it. And in his interaction with God, he names the sin. They've made this idol. They've made this false God. So the call for us is to to not minimize our sin, to to not minimize it and to not make excuses like Aaron did terribly. Oh, it was everybody else's fault except for mine, really, and then a crazy lie. Um, And and also to to not pretend that we're without sin. We don't have to fake it. God sees it all. Um, First John says that if we if we say that we don't have any sin, we're making God out to be a liar, which is a sin as well. And so we're caught either way. Um, but we're to be real about the sin in our life and real about our sin in our coming to God. And that's both the sin in our life, but this is individuals, but also the, the sin in our camp as well. Um, something that I've seen beautifully demonstrated um, a number of times by David and Dale is in um, talking about sin in, in the church, whether that's the Australian church or a Christian organization or, or whatever. Um, I've heard both of them use this language of God forgive us. Like, like there's sin in our camp as God's people. And we're to not minimize the sin, like, we're, like we suffer brokenness as a result of sin as God's people. We're not to minimize or pretend that, that sin doesn't exist in our, in our church or in our churches. Um, I love how Moses like, kind of takes responsibility there and he says, like, he comes to the, to the Lord for forgiveness. There's an identifying with those So we're to pray for those who are under judgment and to be real about our sin in prayer. And lastly, we're to pursue intimacy with God in prayer. Because it's, it's incredible that like Moses prays to the Lord that the, the people wouldn't be destroyed. Like, please don't wipe them off the face of the earth. And, and God hears that prayer works. God acts in response to Moses' prayer, and you'd think that that would be, like, he would be totally fine then, Moses, in just saying, okay, that's, that's good enough for me, like, that's incredible. But he, Moses still pursues the Lord. He, he goes up and says, all right, I'm going to see if I can um, fix things between the people and, and, and God, even though he receives a no, but he's still pursuing the Lord. There and then he um, meets with the Lord like a friend meets with a friend. And his satisfaction isn't in just knowing that, that God has spared the people from total destruction, but he's in pursuit of knowing God more. Like that's 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 his aim. Like that's that's what he really wants. Like that that Lord, that I'd know that I'm blessed by by you. I want to know you more. 
I want to know that, that you are, are with us, that you are with us. I want to know, I want to experience, see your goodness, your glory, Lord. And the Lord and Moses spoke like friends. This is something that I'm really in the process of growing in and needing to grow in um, myself, even just this year. Um, I, I read a book this year and like, it wasn't a very good book and I thought it said something that it didn't say when I went and read it back. So, um, But anyway, this is what I got from it, even though it's not really in there. But um, <laughs> that... Um, <laughs> This bit was, was good. Um, that so much of the way that we speak about prayer is we say it's talking, talking to God, it's conversation with God. And, and that's right. I do remember being in um, Sunday school and there were or, um, scripture classes and there were songs like um, tele- telephone to, to Jesus. And, yeah, it's just talking to him. I, I've come to this realization this year that so much of my prayer life um, instead of being telephoned to Jesus it's really leaving voicemail messages for him you know when you leave a voicemail message um, or something on an answering machine where it's hi God it's Sheldon here Um, yeah I've got this thing going on and if you could let me know such and such a thing or if you could do this, that'd be great. Bye. Amen. And, and so much of my prayer life is, is, is that, even though we talk about conversation with God and God in his faithfulness and in his goodness, like he hears that and he answers prayer, which is so good, so good. But um, I would love um, for myself and for us to be like Moses who who asks God questions and, and, and hears back, who, who expects a response, like God isn't voiceless. Um, a, a man who pursues intimacy with God, like talking with him like a person speaks with a friend and expecting a response too. Like I know how tempted I am to, to just ask God a question and to like actually disbelieve that he would speak back to me. So often a, a thought might pop in my head and my first response is just to say, nah, that's my imagination and squash it before even really testing it and say, is that you, Lord? But there's a challenge for us to be like Moses and pursue intimacy, to pray, Lord, I want to know you. I want to know you with me. I want to experience your goodness. I want to see your glory. So there's heaps for us to learn from those two chapters, like way too much um, for, for just one little message. There's heaps, of us, um, heaps for us to learn from, from Moses and, and his interaction, his conversations with God. Um, and, it's, and it's really tempting for, for us um, as yep, God's the ultimate good guy in the Bible and in the stories that we read but it's really tempting for us to go oh well Moses is kind of a good guy as well in this and so that must be me and like work out who everyone is Um, when in actual fact um, Moses would go on to fail as well Moses would go on to to fail to trust God 
Um, and as a result, Moses himself wasn't allowed to enter the promised land. Um, so even Moses fails. But the good news is, is that God would go on to send a better Moses, a better Moses. God would send his son, Jesus. So I guess in the story, like, we've got stuff to learn from Moses, but maybe we're more like the Israelite camp. Like, we exchange the worship of God for the worship of other stuff. Like, we, we know who God is, but we, we drift. We, we sin. We know from Scripture that our natural state, like, we've got that broken relationship with God as well. And no normal human being can make atonement, can, can fix that relationship. The good news is, is that Jesus is the better Moses intervenes. You know how, how Moses said to God, look, if there's, if there's any way um, that I can make things right, like even blot me out of, out of the book, set things right between you and the people, and God said no. When it came to his son... When it came to Jesus, God said yes. He said yes. And he did that for you. He did that for your salvation. That if you trust in Jesus, that you wouldn't be under the threat of condemnation and under the threat of judgment. So if... if if we grab a hold of that, like if we would believe that more, if we would see that more, like how good Jesus is in being the better Moses, like surely that will push you and I to pray that, that others that we know would be rescued from their sin. Like surely that will push us to be fervent in prayer for those who currently stand under judgment of God. And surely if we grabbed a hold of the truth of what Jesus has done for us, that will push us to be a people who bring our sin to God again and again, that we would receive the, the joy and freedom of being forgiven. And as we trust in Christ and we're filled with the Spirit, that God is the one who cleans us up, that we'd have lives that look more like Jesus and surely if we grab a hold of the gravity of our sin and what it took for Jesus to fix that broken relationship between us and God, it will push us to, a, a, to desire further beautiful intimacy with the God who saves, the God who rescues. That we would know him as not just the one who... who camps on the outside of, of the camp within the, uh, the line of sight, but that we would know him is the one who is among us and by his spirit dwells in us. That we would know him is the one whose presence never flee because he's given us his spirit. And that Moses couldn't see God's glory, like you could see just a little bit of it. Um, but for those of us who've trusted in Christ, we've seen the glory of God in the face of Christ. So let's be a people who pursue this God in prayer. Let's pray.
Yes, Lord, you are the one who rescues and you are the one who has loved us with such love and with patience and you've loved us in power, Lord, um, that anyone who has trusted in Jesus, anyone who has made the stand of saying, no, I'm not going to worship false gods, but I'm going to worship the true God, that you have actually bought our freedom. Thank you, God, that we have received forgiveness for our sins. Help us to be a people who are real about our sin, honest with each other and honest with you. Forgive us for the times where we've minimised or denied our sin, Lord. Um, even forgive us for <laughs> when we've felt like we can't even come before you because we're too ashamed, Lord. Um, yeah, forgive us for disbelieving your, your faithfulness and, and, and your um, love for us, Lord. We know that the grace and mercy that you've got um, is so, so deep. And so, Lord, I pray that we would grab a hold of that more, that we would see the beauty of Jesus more, um, and that you would increase our love for the world that doesn't know you. So, Lord, would you help us grow in prayer? And as we do that, Lord, um, would you come through and answer our prayer? Surely you will. Our plea, Lord, um, we want to know you. We want to know you amongst us, Lord, um, and we want to see and experience your goodness and your glory. We love you, Lord. You are so good. Amen.